Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body and what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith, therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Central family, I miss you guys. I've had some really great encounters this past week. Uh, Bob Arnett's funeral, his celebration of life, got to see a good handful of some central people there, though it was limited in how many people could actually come. But isn't it amazing when you get to see people you haven't seen for a little while uh, from the church? You're just like, hey, you're, you're real. Uh, you still exist. It's so wonderful to be able to see people in person. Uh, and all that just makes me go, oh, how long until we can finally see all of us together again? And uh, I just, I would have settled for a handshake. What I really want is a hug from a few of you, but even handshakes at this point, that would be pretty great. But it looks like things are going to continue on like this for a while. And so before we come to the sermon, let me just give you a, a quick overview of where we as a church are planning to go uh, with our gatherings as we head into this next year. Uh, I'm only be able to, get to kind of give you the bones today. I'm not going to give you all the details. You'll have lots of questions. Uh, that will all come in the weeks to come as we continue to figure these out. But here's kind of the basic bones of it. Before I give you the bones, let me tell you a few basic things we're building this on. Number one, it seems like COVID and this whole situation we're in is not going to end anytime soon. We are convinced as a church that we need to plan and to strategize accordingly, which means planning that this will go for at least another year. Uh, if things change, we can change, but we need to plan to strategize for at least another year. It also seems like uh, we are not going to be able to go over the number of 50 for a live gathering. We are really hoping that phase three would maybe get up to like 100 people or something. It seems like Bonnie Henry is more conservative on this than some of our other provinces, which is great. We'll follow her leadership, uh, but we cannot go over 50, so we need to plan accordingly for that. A next conviction about this, that we as Christians need fellowship, that we cannot go a year and a half never seeing another believer, praying together, caring for one another. Uh, that was a short-term thing, but we, we are convinced that we need to pursue Christian fellowship, so we want to provide avenues for you to do that, and I'll tell you about that as our number two bone if I'm going to talk about that uh, today in a moment. The next conviction is that everybody has differing feelings and differing opinions about how we should respond to COVID. I mean, I literally have people saying to me on the one hand, COVID is really no big deal. It might even be a conspiracy. And other people saying, COVID is the worst thing that ever happened. I'm not even going to leave my house, let alone gather with anybody at all. And all of us are somewhere on this spectrum in society and within our church. Varying levels of comfort uh, of getting together in whatever size groups, varying levels of comfort, even of going out of our houses. So just realize as a church, we're going to try and do our best, but we know that everyone has different feelings and different opinions. So in light of all of that, 
Here is what we're going to call maybe our three-prong approach to gathering for over this next year, starting in September, sometime in September. I'm not going to give you the, quite the exact date yet. Three levels. First of all, gathering just with your immediate family to watch our live stream service on Sunday mornings. Maybe that's all that you can do. Maybe you've got uh, immune-compromised type things in your house, some, some uh, issues maybe that make it so you cannot gather in anything larger than your family. No problems. We want to continue to provide the live stream service for you and for your family. And if that's what you need to do, then make sure that you are focusing in on just the live stream service. Secondly, our next level up would be not just your immediate family, but to gather in what we're going to call house churches. A house church is simply a gathering within someone's home in a socially distanced manner if you're not in somebody's bubble. Uh, The rules right now on this are unclear because technically the rule is you can have your household plus five other people if you're socially distanced. That's the very low limit. However, of course, if people are within your bubble, you can grow it as large as you want. You're not supposed to grow it too large of a bubble, Um, but you can hug people if they're within your bubble. You can touch people. We're going to have to work all that out. But the basic idea here, and this is the big thing we really want to work on, is house churches, gathering with small groups, let's say 10 people, for Christian fellowships on Sunday morning, you gather with your group, you would watch the live stream, you pray together, maybe you want to, uh, people bring their own lunches, or you, you get some sort of a lunch together, something, we'll have to figure out the details, but this, I think, is the key for this next year, pursuing Christian fellowship. This is how they did in the book of Acts, meeting house to house, this is how they do it in persecuted countries, like in China, for instance, in various parts of China, house churches. That's level number two. The third level is we are planning on doing a live reopening. Uh, I I cannot give you all the bones on this right now uh, simply because there's too many little things to figure out, but our plan is to offer within our building services of under 50 people. We might even be able to gather up to three spaces of under 50 people here in the building where one service would be completely live and the other two would be live streamed into the other two parts of the building. That's got a lot of details, but I just wanted to update you on that. I say all this because this next week or so, we want to send out a survey. We do not know how interested or how many of you are interested in actually coming here to the building for a live service. So we need to get some sense of that as we begin to plan into the future. So we will send you an email, uh, a survey link with just a few couple questions and help us to fill that out, or please fill that out so you can help us to discern where exactly we should be going over this next year, particularly in terms of the live services. Okay, so that's all pretty exciting. Uh, we're trying to gather all the, all the different, hit all the different angles with these, this three-prong approach. Lots of questions I'm sure you have. There's lots of details to work out. But hey, it's only what? August 9th? We got a whole three or four weeks to figure it out. Tons of time. Uh, we'll take care of it. Josh is back from, you know, having a baby, so I'll just put it all onto his plate. Steve's gone, and I'll write sermons, and Josh will take care of it. No, just kidding. I'll take care of it too. All right, let's come to the Word. Uh, I don't want to take forever on these announcements, but I think that's some pretty important communication. Uh, Let's come to our series in Matthew chapter 6, and here's how I want to begin today. Kind of a fun little way to begin. I wish I could could play something for you, but due to copyright laws on YouTube, I cannot play anything for you. Uh, I wanted to play for you what is maybe the most catchy song of all time. When you hear it, you can't get it out of your head, and you will automatically start whistling along. Uh, It was written by Bobby McFerrin. In 1988, anybody know what it is? It's the song, Don't Worry, Be Happy. Don't worry, be happy. So, can't play it for you for copyright, but here's some of the lyrics. Just listen to actually some of the lyrics of it. He sings, ain't got no place to lay your head. Somebody came and took your bed. Don't worry, be happy. The landlord says your rent is late. He may have to litigate. Don't worry, be happy. Ain't got no cash, ain't got no style, ain't got no girl to make you smile, but don't worry, be happy. (whistles) Oh, hold on, copyright, one bar. We're not going to get nabbed for that on YouTube. All right, so let's don't worry, be happy. Everybody knows, now it's going to be in your head for the entire rest of the day. Sorry about that. Uh, On one level, of course, that song is great fun. It's a great song to drive to, makes you feel good. But you know what? If you actually just start looking at some of those lyrics and you think about the message of that song... The message of that song is incredibly naive. Not just naive, it really trivializes all of the pain and the difficulties that we often face in life. I mean, it's pretty hard. 
It's one thing to say maybe don't worry. It's a whole other thing to say be happy when maybe your spouse is like cheated on you and you're about to lose your house and you're, you lost your job. I mean, really, just don't worry, be happy. That's honestly the message that sounds really nice, but it really is not very realistic in the gritty, hard parts of life. I say all that because I think that's exactly how people think of Jesus' words here in Matthew chapter 6. I, I think when people read this passage uh, in Matthew 6, they imagine Jesus almost just like, I don't know, he's like a hippie up with his tie-dyed t-shirt. He's talking about birds and flowers, you know, as the wind blows through his long silky hair and he, he gives his message of love and peace to everybody up on some sort of hillside. That is not what Jesus is getting at here. We should not look at these words and say, oh, Jesus, yeah, nice words, just not really realistic. But that's what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about not worrying. But don't worry, Jesus. I mean, we're in COVID-19. Tons of people have lost their jobs. Don't worry, Look at the birds, look at the flowers. Jesus, I mean, a lot of people have lost their jobs in the economy. Who knows where the economy is going? We all know everything is kind of collapsing and having difficulties right now. Some people say it's going to be worse or even as bad as the Great Depression back in the 30s. Who knows what's going to happen? Everything is shaky. Everything is up in the air. Don't worry, Jesus. I mean, what about young families? They've got two kids, another one on the way, single income. Don't worry, these are hard words. They kind of sometimes we, we look at Jesus' words and we think, how could we not worry, Jesus? This sounds very nice what you're saying to us, but is it really realistic? Ah, oh, but listen, Jesus is not some naive hippie singing reggae songs about don't worry, be happy. This passage could not be more real life nitty-gritty, dealing with the raw anxiety and difficulties of life. This passage could not get deeper into our hearts and so bring us freedom. This passage meets us exactly where we are at. In this passage, Jesus reveals why we worry so much, and he gives very realistic teaching on how we can handle worry and how the citizens of his kingdom do not have to struggle so much with anxiety. So here's what I'm praying is going to happen today. Maybe there's some of you who, maybe you've lost your jobs. Maybe you are in a difficult place. You're thinking of your future. You're thinking about your finances. You don't know how you're going to have a roof over your head. You're not sure where it's going. And maybe anxiety is really beginning to smother you and come down on you. I'm praying that today this passage would really minister to your heart. And you would know freedom. You would know rest as you listen to Jesus then maybe some of you are, your, your finances are doing just fine, mortgage is paid off, you're not really worried about the future. But listen, this is such one of these passages you need to learn well, not just because I hope today it will increase your faith and your love of God, it will do that even if you're not in anxiety, but you'll probably come up to that kind of point sometime in your life. I mean, honestly, I guess some people may just have this permanent like trajectory of their life and their finances, but... The vast majority of us, it's, it's going through ups and downs. You will need this passage at some time in your life. I think one of the times I think of most clearly on this actually had to do with when I was first called to come here to Central. And so as I was in discussions uh, with the board and the search committee about becoming the lead pastor here at Central, and there was a point in those discussions where I'd gone down the road very far, and I was laying in bed one night, and I was suddenly struck by the fact that I don't have a job at Central, and it's not for sure yet. And also, I've gone too far down the road now, and there was even some people at my previous church in Vancouver, and they, they knew that I was now in this process because it was getting pretty far along. And I thought, I can't, I don't think I can stay at our church in Vancouver anymore now either. So I, I, I suddenly, it's like 11 o'clock at night, and I was stressed out because I thought, I very well could have no job in a few months. And I got four kids. And uh, I have no idea, and just stress and anxiety totally overcame me. You know what I did for probably the next five days? Every single day for my devotions, I would just read this passage and meditate on it. Nothing further. I would just meditate and read it. Every day, my stress levels would rise and rise and rise, and I would come back, I would meditate and pray through this passage, and it ministered to me so deeply. I pray that it will do the same for you. So here's where we've come so far. 
last week. Jesus showed us what we could say is the cause of our anxiety. He went deep into our heart motivations and why we get anxious. Today and next week are really about a cure for our anxiety. And really, his cure is twofold. First of all, if you want to cure your anxiety, Jesus says in the first place, you must redirect your attention. You must redirect your attention. That's today. That's the main point today. And then next week, he's going to say you need to redirect your ambition. So if you want to know freedom, if you want to know rest on these things to do with, you know, your future, finances, roof over your head, all those kind of things, then Jesus calls you today to redirect your attention And he seeks to do that in five ways. So, let's come to the very first one. Here it is. Your anxiety will be cured when you redirect your attention from your physical needs and obsessing about all them to the greater purposes of life. So, physical needs matter, but redirecting away from those to the higher and greater purposes of life. Here's where I get that in our passage today in verse 25. Jesus says this, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you eat, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothing? Now, don't misunderstand Jesus as to what he's trying to say here. Jesus is not saying you should be totally unconcerned with your physical needs. That's not what he's saying. Right before our passage, if you, have, if you have an actual Bible with you, right before our passage is the famous Lord's Prayer. And what is one of the key things we're supposed to pray for? We are to pray that God, our Father, would give us our daily bread. God cares about your physical necessities, and you are too as well. Here also, in verse 32, it says, the Father knows that we need food and that we need clothing and and houses and jobs. He knows that we need it. He cares about that. Then also in verse 33, it says we're to seek His kingdom, and He'll add all of these physical necessities to our lives as well. So, what is Jesus getting at here then? What he's trying to do is he's trying to take this upside-down way that the world thinks and we often think and put us right-side-up. Jesus' kingdom is really the right-side-up kingdom, and everything else is upside-down because here is how the world thinks. Here's how we often think. We're completely preoccupied with our physical necessities and with our bodies. And if there's no God, if there's no spiritual realm, then by all means, I mean, that's what Jesus says. This is what the Gentiles do. They're always running after these things, seeking after these things. And it makes sense. If if there's no God, if there's no spiritual world, then of course you should obsess about your body. You should obsess about your physical comforts and put everything you have into that. But that is not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying that's what Gentiles do, the secular world. But when you come to know Jesus Christ, you know there is far more to life than just having your physical body cared for and feeling comfortable. Far more to it than that. And again, the Lord's Prayer right before this teaches that to us so clearly. Do you remember the order of requests in the Lord's Prayer? Where does the prayer, the request, give us this day our daily bread? Where does that come in the Lord's Prayer? Is that the first and preeminent thing we are to pray for? Does he begin, our Father in heaven, give us this day our daily bread? Is that how the prayer goes? No. The prayer for bread is actually the fourth of six requests. Long before and far more important even than our physical needs is the name of God being hallowed in our lives and in our world. His kingdom and all that that means coming on the earth. His will being done. Being rightly aligned with our creator. Knowing our creator. Living in fellowship with him. And then what it means to live with others in in his kingdom, in his church. All of that actually is the vital necessities of life. Physical needs matter. They just don't matter as much as these other things. So that's what Jesus is saying here. There's things about life that are far more important. So the one way, the the way to begin curing your anxiety is to redirect your attention. When you're obsessing and anxious about all these physical things being cared for, redirect your attention to the higher, more important things in life. Not saying your other things aren't important, but there's higher and greater things of what it means to live life and to live knowing your Creator. That's the first way to cure it. That's a pretty broad one. Now Jesus starts to get even more specific. Here's the second thing we want to say. 
Your anxiety will be cured when you redirect your attention from your need for food, and just we could say all physical necessities, to the Father's faithful provision. So redirect your attention from your need for all these physical things, jobs and all this, to the Father's faithful provision. So look with me at verse 26. What is the very first word at the beginning of verse 26? Do you see it? Oh, we got it on the screen for you. Now you can cheat. Look. That's the very first word, right? Look. That's how Jesus begins. Redirect your attention, Jesus is saying. I want you to look at something. So Jesus is saying one of the reasons why you and I get so anxious is that our focus is on the wrong thing. And what Jesus wants us to do now is to redirect our attention. So what does he want to redirect our attention to? Are you ready for this? The birds. Yeah, he wants, us to, he wants you to redirect your attention from your need for a job or something to birds. Isn't that what he's saying? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow, sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Now, let's just pause. I mean, really, Jesus? You want us to look at the birds? I mean, our economy is in huge trouble. Businesses are closing down left, right, and center. Gas prices are quickly rising back up to what they were. We do not know where things are going to go in our economy. And, and, and COVID's probably going to go on for another year or more. Who knows? And yet, Jesus, you want us to go bird watching? Really? Like, that's going to cure us? Does Jesus know what he's talking about? It makes me think of that incident um, Remember where Peter and some of the other disciples, they're fishing, and they've been working hard all night long, and they've caught nothing. <coughs> Jesus says to them, put out into the deep water and, th- and throw your nets down again. Now, realize who's saying this. Jesus is a rabbi and a carpenter. He's telling professional fishermen how to fish. I mean, it's like me telling some of you and our Navy guys who work on submarines, hey, here, here's how you can really fix the submarines, guys. I got some ideas for you. So, so the rabbi carpenter is telling the professional fishermen how to fish. And, and, and Peter, he's got a little bit of angst over this. He says, Master, yeah, I think he's trying to be polite. Maybe he's partly Canadian. He says, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. Look at the birds, Jesus? Really? But then Peter says, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. Because you say so, Jesus, because of who you are, because you said it, I will do it. And when they did that, they caught so many fish, the boat started to sink. Same with us in our our passage. Look at the birds while COVID's going on, Jesus. Because you say so, we will do it. So, in your mind's eye, or maybe right now you're sitting outside watching this, maybe you can look through your picture window, or maybe you can just come with me on a little bit of an imaginary journey. Let's go walk down Dallas Drive together, shall we? And look at all the birds out in the air, and let's observe them for a moment. What do you see about how they eat? What do you observe when you redirect your attention to the birds of the air? What do you notice about the way that they eat? That's what Jesus is getting at here. I mean, what you notice, of course, is the birds don't eat like we do. Birds don't plant fields. Birds don't build Costco's to store giant amounts of worms on crates so that they're going to have food for the winter. Birds, like eagles, don't set up trucking companies to send fish from the West Coast out to their bird friends in Saskatchewan so they can eat fish uh, later on in February. Birds don't do those things. Look at verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap. They don't plant in fields. They don't gather into barns, Costco's, if you will. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Now hold that main point about how birds eat for a moment. And just come with me for a moment. I need to make a very important aside here. Because some people abuse this passage. There are some people, I think, in life who are maybe by personality are naturally carefree, but some people are also, let's just be blunt, they're lazy 
and they're irresponsible. There are people like that. You know, the, you know who we're talking about here, right? Like, so I'm not talking about any in particular here, so this is hypothetical. It's like the, the 35, 40-year-old guy, he's been backpacking since he's 20 across the whole world, and then he calls you up and he's like, hey, can I just stay at your house for like a week or two? Uh, I got no money left, and really just wondering if you could help me out. And then he's been there now for a month, a month and a half, and he's still just kind of sponging off you. And that, that's the kind of person who then, then takes a passage like this, and they're like, man, what Jesus is saying here is we just got to all relax, man. We got to just chill out. We shouldn't worry so much about jobs. And we got to just enjoy God's world and trust that God is just going to provide our food for us as we go along. Is that what Jesus is saying? Oh, no. Look at the birds. Do birds sit up on a branch, strumming their bird ukuleles? Waiting for worms to fall from heaven? Is that what birds do? Is that how they go about getting their food? Obviously not. Birds work harder than just about anyone. Birds are up at the crack of dawn. They wake you up if you can hear them outside. They are working, 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 always working hard. So we must never pit God's sovereignty against our responsibility. It's always both. And in this passage, we've got to look at the birds because birds are an example of working hard, and yet who ultimately provides their food? God the Father does. So as one commentator says, Jesus is not using the birds as an example of laziness uh, or idleness or anything like that. No, the example here is how birds work hard. I was going to say they work their tails off. Oh, that's bad. Birds work hard, and yet they're, they're free from stress. Birds are free from anxiety. Their heavenly Father cares for them. Okay, that's the end of the, the important aside. Come back to the main thing we were talking about there as to how birds go about getting their food. We said we got to look at them, Jesus says. Look at them and see the Father provides for them. So every bird then is a preacher. Every bird is always preaching like the same sermon over and over again. Every time you hear a bird chirp or sing or squawk or caw or anything like that, I want you to think of this. The sermon that they are saying through those words is always the same. God always provides. God always provides. God always provides. But Jesus wants to even just go a little layer deeper than this. Notice that Jesus does not say of the birds that, look at verse 26, he does not say, and yet God feeds them. What does verse 26 actually say? Does it, they, don't sow, they don't sow or reap or gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. There's a difference there. I mean, of course, our heavenly Father is God. But Jesus is purposely here speaking to all those who are his children. Jesus is saying to us, listen, it's not just some vague, powerful being God up there who provides your food for you. No, God, if you are a Christian, is your heavenly father. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, you are adopted into his family. You are a son, you are a daughter within the family of God, and the almighty creator of all becomes your loving heavenly father. He becomes maybe that father, which maybe you didn't have a good father growing up, but he is the father that maybe you always wanted, maybe you never had, but he's the true definition of a loving heavenly father. And one of the ways he shows his love is like any even good, loving earthly father, he provides for his kids. And that's why Jesus adds this big statement at the end of verse 26, when he says of the birds, are you, the children of God, are you not of more value than the birds? So redirect your attention, Jesus is saying. The real problem with your anxiety and with mine is that we fail to draw some obvious conclusions from the birds. If God will faithfully provide for a sparrow for its food as it works hard, will he not provide for your basic needs as you work hard, as you seek his kingdom? Won't he take care of you when he is your loving heavenly father? The cure for our anxiety comes down to our view of God, to realize that He's not just God Almighty, He is that, but He's not some impersonal force way up there beyond in the blue. He is our loving Heavenly Father who has done everything to make us His children. 
See, you can trust him to provide for things like your daily bread because he's already done the way more difficult things to make you his child. He is the one who sent his son into this world and his son was crucified on the cross. He gave up his son so you could be adopted into his family. If he's done that, that's the hardest thing. Don't you think he can do the easier things of providing for you? You can trust that he will care for your temporal needs because he's provided for your eternal needs through Jesus Christ dying in your place on the cross. You can trust that he will care for you because he's already proved his love for you in giving his own son. So are you struggling with anxiety? Then the second thing is to redirect your attention to the birds of the air. Go for a walk this afternoon along Dallas Drive. Go into some park somewhere and go for a walk and observe the birds. Let the birds redirect your attention to the love of the Father. That's the second thing. Third, your anxiety will be cured when you redirect your attention from your fear of the future to God's providential plan for your life. So again, we're redirecting attention. What are we going from and to? We're going from the fear of the future, which we always often get so stressed out about, and redirecting our attention away from that to God's providential plan for your life. So look with me now at verse 27. When Jesus says, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? <laughs> Boy, that one comes home, doesn't it? When we talk about providence, we are talking about the invisible hand of God which guides and leads all these parts of our lives. And the invisible hand of God and the providential hand of God is the one that has ordained exactly how many days you are going to live. Do you know that? The day of your birth was ordained and the day of your death is ordained. That's what Psalm 139 says. It says, quote, all the days ordained for me are written in your book. So in other words, you, you, you can worry and fret all about the future. All of that worrying, Jesus says, it's not even going to add one single hour to your life. Not even an hour, let alone years or decades. When your time is up, your time is up. And what that does for you is gives you rest. Because you don't have to stress so much. You don't have to worry so much. You can redirect your attention away from your worries to God's great providential plan for your life. See, here's the problem. So much of our worrying, if you think about it, is our own attempts to run the universe. Isn't that what we're doing often when we worry? We're trying to run the universe, or at least our little corner of the universe. But as one person has said, do you want peace of mind? Resign as the general manager of the universe. Resign. Put in your resignation. It's not a job that you can do. You're not qualified. So why not hand in your resignation and hand it over to somebody who's actually qualified? Former professor of mine, Daryl Johnson, I think, put it humorously and rightly when he, he emphasized that after the horrific events of 9-11, he said a great miracle actually took place on Wall Street. You think, well, what miracle happened at Wall Street? Johnson's joke, but trying to make a point, was that Wall Street after 9-11 closed, and it closed for seven days. Seven days that Wall Street closed. That's a miracle, but the real miracle is the world kept turning, despite Wall Street being closed. And so Johnson says this, that is because Wall Street does not make the world go round. New York does not make the world go round. The Father makes the world go around. And it's the same in your life and mine. When we worry, we are acting as if God the Father is not capable of making the world go around, let alone our little part of the world. That's how we're thinking. And what Jesus here is saying, redirect your attention away from all those great fears of the future, which just come in and stress you out of time. Redirect your attention away from that. Look to the providence of God, he is the one who has set the pathway for your life. He is the one who will guide you. That's the third thing. Here's the fourth. Your anxiety will be cured when you redirect your attention from your worry over bare necessities to God's extravagant generosity. Now, you know that term bare necessities. You know what I'm referring to there? 
Of course, the great Disney film, and you got Blue singing the song about the bare necessities. And what's he trying to teach young Mowgli? He's trying to teach him, his main point is, the bare necessities are going to what? They'll come to you. So his kind of thing is kind of like the Hakuna Matata. It's kind of like the don't worry, be happy. Same kind of thing. Don't worry about the bare necessities of life. They'll come to you. And again, on one level, it's kind of good advice. You shouldn't stress so much about them. But as Christians, we don't believe they're just going to come to you. That's not what we believe. And they won't just come to you unless there is some sort of a hand that's guiding this world. What we believe in the second half, of course, is that we don't have to focus on the bare necessities so much. We focus rather on God's extravagant generosity. This is what will cure you of your anxiety when you're so stressed all the time about the bare necessities of life. Redirecting your attention to God's extravagant generosity. I get this in verses 28 to 30. Jesus says these words, And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Again, I want to point out to you how gracious Jesus is. He's redirecting our attention away from our worries. We were supposed to, first of all, redirect our attention and look at the birds. Now, secondly, we're supposed to redirect our attention away from our worries and stress, and we're supposed to look at the flowers. The flowers, Jesus, really? Because you say so, we will do it. And when we look at the flowers, we learn so much about the Father. I mean, we look, when you look at flowers, where, where do they get their beauty from? It's not like they're on Instagram and following the accounts of the famous fashion models. That's not where they get it from. Uh, flowers don't have some sort of sewing kit that they work with to close themselves. No, they are clothed by the Father. And think of all, I mean, some of you just love flowers, and you should. Think of the, think of the variety and the beauty, the colors, the shapes, the sizes, pink, blue, orange, white, red, Endless amounts of colors, endless amounts of variety. Jesus says, redirect your attention to the flowers. And then notice he says in verse 29 that, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed or clothed like one of these. Now notice, when Jesus wanted to think of a historical figure to compare the clothing that we need to, he did not choose John the Baptist. Do you remember the clothes that John the Baptist wore? What did he wear? Camel's hides, camel's clothes. Not great fashion sense at all, John the Baptist. Sorry, buddy. He chooses Solomon, the richest, wealthiest, most glorious king in all of Israel's history. Listen, this shows us something about God. God is not the kind of God who dresses all of his people in like a standard gray overall uniform issue, kind of like Big Brother in George Orwell's 1984. That's not the kind of God. God is not like Big Brother at all. He is a God who makes beauty, who loves beauty, and he loves to clothe his people. Our Creator loves beautiful things. So, even think about why do you choose one pair of clothing over another? You clothe it because you think it looks nicer. Some of you haven't quite figured that out yet, but some of us are working on it a little more than others. We won't name any names, but you choose a certain outfit more than another because you think it's, it makes you look better. You like the beauty of it. Is that trivial? Well, not according to Jesus. He actually is saying that his kingdom announces beauty, that the Father enjoys beauty. The Father clothes his people. If God clothes the flowers of the field with such a ray, he will also clothe you. Look at the flowers. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which are here today and tomorrow are thrown into the oven, because in ancient times you took uh, dry uh, grass and flowers, you put them in as kind of kindling. If he does that with the flowers, will he not much more clothe you? And then look at this last little phrase, O you of little faith. Here's the main issue with your anxiety and with mine. Will you trust the Father with all your physical necessities, your bare necessities? Note that Jesus does not say to his people, you have no faith. No, the secular world, the person who's not a believer yet, they have no faith in God as their heavenly father. 
but God's children have faith. But notice here, the problem is we have little faith, and we need to grow our faith in the Father. The problem with worry is that you and I are not exercising our little faith. Listen to this great quote by a man named Helmut Tielicke. He says, every worry is a vote of no confidence in God. Wow. Camp out on that for a moment. Every time you worry, what is it that you're doing? You are casting a vote of no confidence in God, your heavenly Father. Worry at its root, then, is a great sin. Because to paraphrase Daryl Johnson again, what we're, what we're doing when we're worrying and stressing about all our physical necessities, basically we're saying, Father, I don't think you're up to this crisis. I know you kind of handled the last one. I don't think you can handle this one. So I need to stress about it. I need to worry about it. Sorry, Father, I don't think you can take this one on. When we worry, we're actually saying, God, you cannot be trusted to come through for me, and so I must stress, I must work at it to make sure I take care of myself because I'm not convinced that you will really take care of your children. Oh, it goes right back to the lie of the garden, doesn't it? It always goes back to the lie of the garden. We don't really believe that God has our best interest at heart. No, 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 guys. I know he said don't eat the fruit, but he's trying to hold you back. You can't really trust him. Go ahead and eat it. Then you'll discover true happiness. You can live as your own gods. Oh, every worry is a vote of no confidence in God. May the Lord have mercy on us. And forgive us for our lack of faith, our little faith, when He is such an extravagant and loving Heavenly Father. Is He not that? Look at the flowers. The flowers call you to increase your faith because they boast of God's extravagant generosity and care. The greatest reason why you can trust the Father is because he's done everything already for you. I mean, think of this. You can look at the flowers, but if you want to go even higher, even greater, look at what he's done for you through his son. Jesus had his clothes taken from his body. Jesus on the cross cried out, I thirst. Jesus was naked and thirsty, being crucified for the sins of all of God's people. He is on the cross taking that place for us. He endured the beatings, the floggings. He, who was so beautiful and enjoyed the worship of angels for all of the past and all those thousands, millions of years in history, who knows how long the angels have existed, he enjoyed all that because of his beauty. He gave up all of that to stand in your place and in mine. As the book of Isaiah reads, as Lucas told us earlier, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man, and his body was marred beyond any human likeness. He, the beautiful one, became ugly so that you and I can be clothed in his perfect and beautiful righteousness. He is the one who thirsted so that you and I will never thirst again. And if he has done all of that for us, oh, why are we so stressed out? Why would we not think his extravagant generosity could do things like get us a job that we need, care for our physical necessities as we begin to move into the future? So here's the simple question. Will you trust the Father? Will you trust the Father? That's four of the cures. Let's do one more and just increase our rest and our freedom in God. Your anxiety will be cured when you redirect your attention from future worries that paralyze, because that's what they do, uh, that paralyze the, oh, they paralyze the present. Sorry, I'm not reading my own sentence correctly. Uh, our worries paralyze us in the present. Redirect them from that to trusting God's grace for today. This is the thing about worry, right? It paralyzes us in the present. Redirect your attention to trusting God's grace just even for today. Look at verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Again, Jesus is so realistic, isn't he? he he's no 
you know, hippie, reggae singing guy just talking about birds and flowers and it's all just going to work out in the end. No, no, that's not what he does. Notice how realistic he is. Notice he says, you will have trouble in this world. He doesn't say if you become a Christian, all your troubles are gone. You never need to worry again. Don't worry. Be happy. It's not what he says. He wants his kingdom citizens to be worry-free, but he never promises that you'll be trouble-free. Worry-free, but never trouble-free. Notice, not one sparrow will fall to the ground without the will of the Father, but sparrows will fall. In the same way, we will have trouble in this world, but we can rejoice because Jesus says he has overcome the world. So how do you do that in the raw, difficult, nitty-gritty parts of life that begin to stress you out? Again, I think Helmut Thielicke is so helpful here. If you don't know who he is, he was a German pastor, lived through World War II, so he's German, living in Germany. Uh, he preached a sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew chapters 5 to 7, which we're looking at in part. He preached the Sermon on the Mount from 1946 to 1948. So for two years, he preached the Sermon on the Mount right after World War II ended. And he would often reflect on what the German people were going through uh, during that time. So how would you have freedom from anxiety when you're getting bombed all the time and having all these difficulties. I mean, you want to talk about nitty-gritty, raw, real life? If it can work when, you're, when your country's being bombed by the allied forces and you're all this difficulty, if it can work there, surely it can work for us. So let's listen to Helmut Tielicke uh, and the comment he made once in a sermon. He said this, We know the sight and sound of homes collapsing in flames. Our own eyes have seen the red blaze and our ears have heard the sound of crashing, falling, and shrieking. Nevertheless, I think we must stop and listen when this man, Jesus, whose life on earth was anything but bird-like and lily-like, points us to the carefreeness of the birds and lilies. Were not the somber shadows of the cross already looming over this hour of the Sermon on the Mount? You see what he's trying to get out with that? He's trying to say, as Jesus preached this sermon in Matthew 6 about not worrying, it's not that Jesus was some sort of, I don't know, prince living up in a palace being fed grapes all day long. Jesus knew struggles. He knew what it me meant to have no place to lay his head. Not only that, he knew where his life was going to go. The somber shadow of the cross was already coming over this passage. Jesus did not live a, a perfect life of joy, like just un. Uh, what am I trying to say? A, a life with no cares. He had many cares, and the cross, the shadow of the cross, was over top of all this. This is why this is so real. Jesus is not a monk living up on a hill spouting philosophies. This is real life, nitty-gritty type of stuff. And here he's trying to help us by saying to us, redirect your attention from all the worries of the future. Because those future worries, they come into the present. And what do they do to you? They paralyze you, don't they? I mean, I don't know about you, but I can imagine 10,000 things that will go wrong with my life in the future. And if I think on it too long, what does it do? It ruins the present. And here's the crazy thing. The vast majority of those things probably will never come true. But I can ruin the present, be paralyzed in the present, because I'm so stressed out about the future. And so we don't want to do that. And so Jesus is saying to us, look, what you need to do is redirect your attention. Don't think so much about the future, but focus on today. Just focus on today. Look to God's grace for your worries today. Tomorrow will come, and you, can, you have to deal with the anxieties of tomorrow. Live in the moment Live for today. Don't take on all the cares of the future. There's a story I like on this, and it's from a family. They had a son named Oliver. Oliver was severely disabled at birth, and uh, he just had to lay helplessly in his bed. He lived 32 years. Uh, he could not move at all, and so his parents would have to spoon-feed him every single meal. They'd have to change his diapers. It was full-time caring for young Oliver, and yet his parents maintained a happy home. So one day further in life, Oliver's other brother named Christopher began to reflect on all this as he got older, and he asked his father, how, do you, how have you and mom managed to maintain a happy home and yet continue to deal with all the stresses to deal with Oliver's health and all the future and all this could mean for us as a family? And the father said this. 
He said we just live one day at a time. We ask ourselves at the beginning of every day, can we feed and care for Oliver today? Can we do that today? And the answer is always, yes, we can do it today. And so that's all we focus on each day because we cannot handle all the pressure and stress of the next potential 30 years weighing on our minds. We just ask, can we do it today? So whatever stress you're going through today, that's Jesus' message in the final place. Redirect your attention away from all the worries and the stress of tomorrow and just focus on today. Let tomorrow's anxieties deal with themselves and trust that the Father will give you the grace you need today. What a good king Jesus is. What a gracious master. What a wonderful kingdom to be a part of. In the Father's house, our worries are cured, not by trying to whistle a happy tune, but by nitty-gritty trust in the Father and His extravagant generosity, His providential plan for our lives, and His care for us as the one who gave up His own Son for us. So today, redirect your attention. Let's pray together. Thank you for these words, Jesus. Thank you for helping to put us right side up again, for we often become upside down. We stress and we worry so much about tomorrow. We stress so much about the physical necessities of life. We are grateful that we can put these into your hands, knowing that you are our loving Heavenly Father, that you are not a God who is frugal toward us, You are a God who loves to bless your people. You are often so extravagant in your generosity. Forgive us, Father, when we have not trusted despite years or decades of your faithfulness. And so we we so quickly turn back into not trusting you. Forgive us of these things. Help us today. Help our little faith today to grow a little bit bigger, to trust you a little bit more as our truly loving Heavenly Father. Today, Father, we want to cast a vote of confidence in you, saying we trust you with today, and we'll learn to trust you again tomorrow. We praise you for your faithfulness to us. The older we get, the more we look back and realize how faithful you have been. We give you the thanks and you the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.